0: I mean, Biden just, Biden was warned. Biden knew what he was doing and and he did it anyway.
1: He's such a bad person.
0: He's legitimately a bad person. And we like, we lay that out in the book. Like this is who he's always been from like early on as a senator and what he did with Vietnam, trying to keep Vietnamese refugees out of the country. Like at the end of the Vietnam War, it's like exactly the same thing. Like four decades later, I mean, he's the exact same guy.
1: That's awful. Okay, let's get this started because this is getting good and we should record this. (laughs)
0: That's right. (laughs) Let's not waste it all here.
1: Liz Wheeler Show, episode 411, take one. It's a little hard to believe that it's been two years since this happened. I, Living in media myself... I'm aware of how collectively short our attention span has gotten. Like, If there's a negative story planted about you in the media, you have to wait less than 24 hours before people are like, oh look, a shiny squirrel this way, and it's like, done. But this was one of the events of the Biden administration that was a deliberate political choice, I would argue, not something that arbitrarily happened, that crossed party lines. There are not too many issues like that, I would argue, maybe COVID lockdowns, at least at this point, um, the transgender issue, Hunter Biden corruption, And we have the Biden's botched withdrawal of Afghanistan that not just caused people to feel emotion on the right, but I mean, there was legitimate anger from people on both sides of the aisle. His deliberate abandonment of precious human life in Afghanistan. Jerry Dunleavy and James Hassan just wrote an amazing definitive account of what happened, kind of the -the behind-the-scenes corruption, who was pulling the strings, some never-before-known details about the suicide bombing that led to the death of 13 U.S. military service members. The book's called Kabul, the untold story of Biden's fiasco in the American warriors who fought to the end. It's chilling. You you have to read this. We're going to talk to Jerry now because... Um, some of the things that you found out about the suicide bombing, Jerry, um, we didn't know. I mean, we knew that this was the way that over a dozen military members were killed after Biden surrendered Afghanistan to the Taliban. But tell me a little bit about this research. What did you find?
0: Yeah, and thanks, and thanks for having me. Um, so, in the book Kabul, um, we we found new details about the suicide bomber, and and let me just kind of lay it out here, because. The, the debacle in Afghanistan, the Taliban takeover, and the suicide bombing, and those 13 dead Americans, none of that had to happen. All of this was foreseeable and preventable. And when it comes to the suicide bomber, um, it it kind of starts with the U.S.'s mind-boggling and terrible decision to abandon Bagram Air Base in early July 2021. And what most people don't know about the suicide bomber, well, most people don't know his name. His name is Abdul rahman al And the Biden administration won't say his name and doesn't want to admit his name, but that's who he was. And he was in prison at Bagram Air Base when the United States abandoned it. Um, he had been captured through a joint effort by Indian intelligence and the CIA when he tried to carry out a suicide attack Um, in New Delhi back in 2017. And the CIA helped the Indian intelligence roll up that ISIS-K effort and Indian intelligence handed him over to the CIA and the CIA put him in prison at Bagram. And so when Biden made this decision to abandon Bagram, which was part of this conditionless withdrawal, this conditionless uh, troop withdrawal, Ligari, the ISIS-K terrorist, was sitting behind bars in Bagram. So abandoning Bagram was a terrible idea for so many reasons because it would have been a much safer place to run an evacuation from. Because remember, we had thousands of Americans and tens of thousands of Afghan allies that we had to get out. We had no plan for getting them out. And well over a thousand Americans and tens of thousands of Afghan allies were left behind. Keeping Bagram would have helped with that. Keeping Bagram would have helped, if we kept U.S. air assets there, would have helped with stopping the Taliban from ever taking Kabul. And if we had simply held on to Bagram, this ISIS-K terrorist would have been sitting behind bars rather than threatening Americans. Because the first thing that the Taliban did when they took Bagram, which we had abandoned in July, the Taliban takes Bagram on August 15th. The first thing that they do is they open those jail doors. Thousands of ISIS K prisoners freed, dozens of Al Qaeda terrorists pre- freed, as well as thousands of Taliban fighters. And remember, we then had to rely on the Taliban to provide security at Kabul airport. And part of how President Biden tried to comfort everyone with this terrible idea was by saying repeatedly, well, you know, the Taliban and ISIS K, they are mortal enemies, you know. And so the implication there being we can count on the Taliban to stop an ISIS-K attack. Well, the first thing that the Taliban did taking over Bagram was free all these ISIS-K terrorists, including the guy who killed all those Americans at Abbey Gate. On top of that, we have the testimony from Tyler Vargas Andrews, a Marine sergeant, who ended up losing two of his limbs in that bombing. But before the bomb goes off, he testified that he believed that he had the bomber in his sights because U.S. intelligence was receiving detailed warnings about the bombing, that it's coming, that it's going to be targeting Abbey Gate, that it's going to be almost at a certain hour, and a detailed description of the bomber, which Tyler Vargas Andrews believed he had the, the bomber in his sights, but couldn't get permission from his commanding officer to take that shot. Oh, oh, oh. On top of that, and it's crazy that there's still more, is during our writing of the book Kabul, we read through thousands of pages of Pentagon documents and records, which clearly just nobody else had gone through. Because in there, a U.S. officer on the ground said that U.S. intelligence knew that ISIS-K was staging at at a location about a mile away from Kabul airport before the bombing. And that U.S. military leaders asked the Taliban to assault that location, and of course, the Taliban never did. And on top of that, we had officers submit sworn testimony saying that the U.S. U.S. officers asked for permission to conduct a strike, an airstrike against an ISIS K location in Afghanistan before the Abbey Gate bombing, but permission was denied, and it looks like. Part of why that permission was denied by military leaders was because of a negative response from the Taliban. And so all of these things combined just show that this bombing didn't have to happen. If we had simply held on to Bagram, it wouldn't have happened. And there were other things that we could have done along the way, but because of our reliance on the Taliban for security and because of the unclear rules of engagement, 13 Americans were killed, dozens of Americans were wounded, and 200 Afghans were killed as well.
1: So wait a second. I mean, this is also shocking. It's almost hard to process. The United States is supposed to be not only the most powerful military and the most powerful country in the world, we're supposed to be a force for good. So let me focus first on this intelligence. This is pretty specific intelligence that you're referencing. When you say that U.S. intelligence knew that an ISIS-K bomber was going to wage an attack, knew it was going to be at this gate, knew even what time this attack was, they were planning on staging this attack and knew what the bomber looked like. I don't understand. Maybe you have additional, an additional explanation here. I don't understand why you would even collect that intelligence if, when a military service member on the ground then saw this bomber, why wouldn't you neutralize that bomber? Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah.
0: I mean, it's 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 kind of unbelievable, but it's clear that 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 U.S. intelligence, because on the day of August 26, the day of the bombing, the intelligence was getting extremely specific. Um, the U.S. intelligence almost had it down to the to the hour that it was going to happen. They, when it was predicted to happen, it, it happened maybe a, a couple of hours later, um, and th- they were also receiving detailed descriptions of the potential bomber and. It is this big open question about why wasn't Tyler Vargas Andrews, this Marine sniper, why wasn't he given permission to take the shot? You know, he testified to Congress that he asked permission from Lieutenant Colonel Brad Whited, who is his commanding officer. And according to Tyler, his commanding officer said that he didn't have permission to give to Tyler to take the shot and that he didn't know who did. What well, a lieutenant um, colonel s- didn't? Yeah. Right. Right. Oh. So this this is this is a this is a big question and you know I'm, I'm currently now working for the House Foreign Affairs Committee and I'm just talking to you in my personal capacity as the author of the the book Kabul. but um, uh, the the committee chaired by chairman McCall has asked for that that commanding officer to come and and talk to the committee. Um, And so, you know, it's a big unanswered question. And it all, I think, goes back to this precarious position that President Biden's series of terrible decisions put these U.S. Marines and and other U.S. service members in where we we are in control of nothing but an airport. And the Taliban controls everything surrounding it all of Kabul and all of Afghanistan. And so who, the Americans who are able to get out, the Afghans who are able to get out have to make it through the Taliban gauntlet to get out. And that is the position that, that we put ourselves in with everybody that we had to get out stuck behind Taliban lines. And, you know, it's a big, it's a big problem. Um, and it obviously had, you know, chaotic consequences. It had deadly consequences and Americans left behind and Afghan allies left behind because of it. Well, I
1: hope that Lieutenant Colonel is, well, forced to testify in front of the House Foreign Affairs Committee because I'm interested in who it was that ultimately made the call and said, no, you cannot stop this suicide bombing even though our intelligence was sh- sure that it was gonna happen and had all the detail of where it was going to be carried out and who was going to be carrying it out. I wanna know who is ultimately responsible for that. I also am interested in one, of the, one of the things you wrote in your book was the military intelligence and the intelligence community when Biden was creating this plan for withdrawal, that they told him from the get-go in no uncertain terms, this was like a consensus, that his plan was going to fail, that it was going to be a disaster. So it wasn't like the intelligence community in this case was misinforming him and that he could almost shrug and say, well, they told me, my military generals told me this would work. It just ultimately didn't people were telling him it wouldn't work so my question to you is who exactly was behind this decision to say we're going to disregard all of this military advice all of the reports from the intelligence community and go ahead knowing that this is going to be a disaster like i want to name names here
0: it's it's a great question and and honestly like i think that a lot of times questions get raised about president biden's age his fitness for office Whether he's in control of everything at the White House, and I think oftentimes those questions are probably legitimate, but when it comes to Afghanistan, this was President Biden, top to bottom, start to finish, this was his decision. This is what he wanted. Um, He made this a very early priority of his. I mean, we we had someone in the know tell us that one of his very early meetings in the White House, he was just asking how quickly can we get out this was this was president biden's decision and the general you know his his us military leadership was telling him if you just pull all us troops immediately with no plan about how to get americans out no plan about how to get our afghan allies out no plan about how to keep the afghan military on the battlefield fighting to keep the taliban at bay cuz keep in mind The Afghan military, already very weak and shaky, relied upon, was built around, in fact, U.S. military support. And so pulling U.S. troops meant pulling contractors, pulling logistics, pulling ISR, pulling advisors. Everything that we had designed the Afghan military around, all of that was pulled immediately. Um, America is on trial. April 14th is when Biden made his decision um, and July 2nd, we closed our final base, Bagram. So you can see in that tiny window, we were here and we were gone. And another thing to keep in mind, and this is bizarre in so many ways is President Biden in his April 14th speech where he made this announcement, he declared September 11th, 2021 as the final day to get US troops out. That would be the final day, right? The the final withdrawal date. That's crazy for so many reasons of course because I think that everybody heard him say September 11, 2021, the 20th anniversary of 9/11. I mean, why are you are you picking that day? I mean, the Taliban are the ones that harbored the al-Qaeda terrorists who hit the US on 9/11. Um, so it was a political move. I think he was trying to get some sort of victory lap out of it, but I don't really get it. But it wasn't strategic. It was political. And it was actually the opposite of strategic because picking that date, he decided to pull all U.S. troops right in the middle of Afghan fighting season. And we had been there for 20 years. We know that the Taliban is at its strongest and most effective in the spring and the summer. If there's any time that you're not gonna do a retrograde, it's the spring and the summer, but that's exactly when he did it. And so by picking September 11, 2021, as the, as the deadline to pull US troops out, what Biden actually ensured was that by the 20th anniversary of 9-11, the terrorist group that harbored Al Qaeda and never broke its alliance with Al Qaeda, the Taliban, would be in charge on that 20th anniversary.
1: I mean, it it boggles the mind that anybody could be it it actually is not just that anybody could be this stupid. Like I don't believe that this was that these were mistakes. I believe that this were deliberate political actions. Maybe it was a political miscalculation because he didn't anticipate that people on the right and the left would be so horrified that he sacrificed human lives there. So, but it really makes you believe in. The battle between good and evil that we're fighting in American politics because you can't make decisions like this unless you are completely corrupted um by evil. So you actually quit your job in the middle of writing this book because like tell me about that process. That's a pretty that's a pretty bold thing to do.
0: yeah, so so i I, I turned in the book and was asked to join the House Foreign Affairs Committee to help lead the Afghanistan investigation that that uh, that is currently ongoing and that. Is is ramping up, in fact, and you know the I, the committee's been doing actually incredible work. Uh, Sergeant Tyler Vargas Andrews' his testimony about having the bomber in his sights and being denied permission to take the shot that was testimony in front of the House Foreign Affairs Committee earlier this year, and um, uh, of course, it was the House Foreign Affairs Committee that uh, forced uh, Anthony Blinken under threat of contempt to let the committee see the uh, the dissent cable from July 2021 that members of the U.S. Embassy um, sent to Antony Blinken, and that seemed to be ignored by Antony Blinken the State Department. That dissent cable in July 2021 was saying, look, uh, things are going to fall apart here. The Taliban is gonna take over. The Afghan government's gonna collapse. The embassy is gonna get overrun. And we haven't done any of the things that we need to do uh, to fulfill our promises to Americans here and to fulfill our promises to Afghan allies here. Um, and so that that dissent cable was was pried uh, out of the hands of uh, of the State Department because uh, of the, the committee's great work. And then, you know, the final thing I'll say is that uh, a little bit later this month, on August 29th, um, the Gold Star families, uh, the families of the 13 uh, service members who were, were killed in the Abbey Gate attack, they're going to be coming to Capitol Hill um, for an official congressional roundtable where they're going to be telling their stories, talking about their interactions with President Biden, talking about the silence from the, the Biden administration, um, and demanding accountability. Because a very important thing to keep in mind here is that there has been mm-hmm. zero accountability. None. No one's resigned. No one's been fired. Um, no one's paid any consequences. I, I think the only semblance of a slight bit of accountability is that when this happened in August 2021, President Biden's approval rating took a hit and it's it's never really recovered. Um, and so if there's been a political price, it's just that I think that the Americans who are willing to, to give Biden a ch- a chance to think maybe he's gonna be a steady hand at the wheel. Um, I think that the the scales came off their eyes and and they were able to see that uh, he's 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 incompetent. But I think the 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 worst thing is he he just doesn't care. This was a this was an uncaring um, move, and uh, tens of thousands of our Afghan allies are paying the price obviously the country of Afghanistan is paying a price. 13 American families are are paying the price. And, um, you know, the Americans who were left behind paid the price too.
1: In your book, you said that this ushered in a dangerous new era that reaches beyond Afghanistan and the Middle East. What do you mean by that?
0: Yeah. Well, we have two chapters, one on Russia and one on the Chinese Communist Party um, and how they uh, exploited the debacle in Afghanistan because obviously this was terrible for Afghanistan and the world on its own. I mean, the Taliban is back in charge. Um, members of the Taliban government, some of them are actually considered to be dual-headed members of the Taliban and al-Qaeda. Um, you've got al-Qaeda training camps uh, in Afghanistan. You have the Taliban funding al-Qaeda uh, obviously, ISIS-K, who who killed those 13 Americans, is running wild in Afghanistan. So it's dangerous, and it's bad, just for Afghanistan. But the problem is not localized just to Afghanistan, because when it comes to Russia, um, Vladimir Putin had wanted to do a full-scale invasion of Ukraine for a long time, long-time goal of his, but he hadn't done it yet. Um, and we make a very strong case in our book and I encourage people to read it, that Putin looked at the United States and NATO um, and we just, we were in a shambles. I mean, it was chaotic, it was disastrous. They saw, Putin saw the debacle there and how the US and NATO alliance looked weak. And that was, I think, the final push that he, he needed to, to invade Ukraine. And now we have a massive war with tens of thousands of people on both sides dead. Um, and, a, you know, a big war on the European continent, very dangerous. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very possible that uh, the debacle in Afghanistan is what po- pushed Putin over the edge. Now, when, com- when it comes to China, um, this was a huge propaganda victory for, for China and they, they've used it continuously. We, we have a chapter in our book that I encourage everybody to read. It's called the CCP and the Kabul moment. And the the Kabul moment is kind of what the Chinese Communist Party dubbed all of this. So that China saw the writing on the wall in the summer of 2021. They had been getting very close to the Taliban for a long time, but they they sidled up to them um, as this was all going south because they knew the Taliban is going to be in charge soon. And I think that China knew, even if the Biden administration was in denial about it. But the second that the Taliban took uh, Afghanistan and, and Kabul fell. China started touting the Kabul moment and and how they use this Kabul moment is they use it to target Taiwan, basically saying, look, look at what uh, the United States did in Afghanistan. Look at how tens of thousands of Afghan allies are left behind. Look at how the Taliban's back in charge. Basically, you can't trust the Americans. And a similar fate awaits you, Taiwan, um, if you try to count on America and if you try to fight us if and I think when they invade Taiwan. And so, you know, we, we, we titled the, a chapter of the book that and in my mind, it was always like, well, how long is China g- gonna continue with that piece of propaganda? And lo and behold, here in the second anniversary of the Taliban takeover, China's back at it talking about the Kabul moment, China's foreign ministry talking about the Kabul moment. So when it comes to Russia and China, Um, they both use this moment to their advantage. And I I think that we're living in a a more dangerous world because of it.
1: Gosh, it's really heavy stuff. I mean, there's been so much talk about how the Ukraine war is not just devaluing the US dollar, which is bad for us domestically because we're facing inflation because of it, uh, because of all of Biden's spending, but how that's going to retool the world order, because if people don't rely on the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency, they're going to rely on something else, in which case we lose our bargaining power because our bargaining power is primarily economic, not primarily military. And this just plays right into it. I mean, Biden just handed, if he handed Russia, he handed Putin, he handed China, handed that they're emboldened. It's quite shocking. And then he's lied about it. You write extensively about the lies that Biden told to try to cover up. Can you give us some examples of that?
0: I mean, you know, one one big thing, uh basically the, the, the Biden administration's only defense against any of this is they they try to point to the uh the Doha Agreement, which was uh an agreement struck between the US and the Taliban during the Trump administration. And I think we're pretty honest in the book that we like, we think that the, the Doha Agreement was a, a flawed agreement, um, for sure. But it did have conditions. And one of the conditions that the Taliban uh never met is just look at the ongoing, continued alliance between the Taliban and al-Qaeda. Um, the Taliban protected and harbored al-Qaeda during the 1990s when al-Qaeda was conducting terrorist attacks against U.S. embassies in Africa. They continued harboring them in 2000 when al-Qaeda hit the USS Cole and killed U.S. sailors. They continued harboring al-Qaeda uh, you know, on 9-11 when 3,000 people were killed. and they refused to hand over Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda when we threatened to uh, invade. And obviously, we, we did invade. And for 20 years, the Taliban was willing to be out of power, to sit out in the hinterlands and to, to fight and die rather than breaking this alliance. And so the Taliban never broke its alliance with al-Qaeda. And so uh, one of the lies that President Biden tried to, tried to tell was he tried to say, well, al-Qaeda has gone from Afghanistan. Completely untrue, just a total lie. Um, you know, Sirajuddin Haqqani, who is the head of the Haqqani network and is also one of the top leaders of the Taliban, he's considered by many to also be a card-carrying member of al-Qaeda. And you have other members of the Taliban government who are considered to be members of al-Qaeda. Ayman, Zaw- Ayman al-Zawahiri, who is Osama bin Laden's number two, right, when, you know, right after the Taliban took over, the first thing that he did was go to Kabul and hang out in a safe house uh, provided to him by and Haqqani. And you have al-Qaeda, you know, throughout Afghanistan. So President Biden just, he lied about this and and he lied about everything. He lied about the the size and strength of the Afghan military to try to paint a rosier picture of what the reality was on the ground in Afghanistan. He he tried to say that this wasn't going to be like Saigon. Um, and, you know, sort of fortuitous words because it was exactly like Saigon and, and actually I think was, was worse than what happened in Saigon. And so part of the problem with what the Biden administration did in 2021 is they, they just, they refused to be honest about what they were doing. And the American people were, were just lied to every step of the way when the reality on the ground was clear. And there were people telling Biden and the people around him what was really happening. And I think there was some willful blindness, some ignorance, some ignoring of the reality. And then I just think that some of it was just not caring. President Biden made a decision and he was going to go through with it no matter the cost. And I I think that there was a big cost to it.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, in a sense, it sounds like Almost hyperbolic to say worse than Saigon. But if you think about the photos that were that we all saw, I mean, they were everywhere after Afghanistan, it was all of these our Afghan allies abandoned, grabbing onto the propellers and the steering gears of these planes and dropping because they dropping to the runway as the planes took off because they thought that was their only chance out. I mean, it's hard to believe that we've allowed history to repeat itself like that. But given what given what you know now about everything that happened, not just the events, but what caused the events or who caused the events on our side or who allowed the events to happen? What's going to happen next? What can we expect from Afghanistan, that whole region, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS-K? What's going to happen?
0: Well, I think I think that Afghanistan is a very dangerous place again. Um, Al-Qaeda is there and growing in strength. ISIS-K is there. And we, we saw them hit Um, you know, Americans at, at Abbey Gate, and they want to continue hitting us. And obviously you can't trust the Taliban to deal with ISIS-K and, um, you know, their, their alliance with Al Qaeda is still strong. And so the reality is that, uh, I mean, it's unfortunate because 20 years of war in Afghanistan and 20 years of mistakes, uh, 20 years of U.S. service members giving their lives and um, it ended with the Taliban back in charge, and Afghanistan is is going to be a problem again. Um, and it's a threat now to the region. Um, you know, Pakistan and the Pakistani intelligence played a, a very big role in helping return the Taliban to power. Um, but it's kind of a be careful what you wish for type scenario because, you know, the, the Taliban's malfeasance is, is never going to be... Uh, restricted just to their borders, and the immediate consequence for Pakistan has been that uh, the Pakistani Taliban is uh, emboldened and has been carrying out gigantic uh, attacks in Pakistan, and ISIS-K has been carrying out attacks in Pakistan as well. And um, unfortunately, if we're not careful, I think that it's only a matter of time that al-Qaeda... ISIS or both, uh, start to be able to hit the West and hit the United States and, and our allies again. And, you know, it's a tragic way for 20 years to end. And it certainly did not have to happen the way that it did. And and we tell people, I think that people of good faith have different opinions on, uh, whether we should have withdrawn from Afghanistan or not. And a lot of people thought that we should, and some people thought we shouldn't, but, Wherever you fall down on that, the way that we did it um, was ridiculous and irresponsible and a betrayal um, to not just to the people that we had fought alongside in Afghanistan for 20 years, but a betrayal to the U.S. service members um, that had fought there for 20 years and a betrayal to the American service members that we tasked with going and conducting our final operation, that evacuation. Um, because of the things that they had to see, the things they had to deal with, the 13 fellow service members that they had to lose. And it was a betrayal um to the Americans and Afghans that we left behind. So it's it's a huge black mark. Um, and you know, I think that we're gonna we're gonna pay the price for it for a long time.
1: Are we gonna have to go back eventually? Because if what you said is going to happen, will happen, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna allow ourselves to be attacked in our own country and not try to eradicate the enemy? Are we just going to take it because we don't want a forever war? Like, what's going to, are we going to go back?
0: Well, I don't think no that the U.S. That. is ever going <laughs> to, I mean, I don't think that the U.S. is ever going to invade Afghanistan again. Um, and, you know, a, a promise that that President Biden made um, after the Abbey Gate attack that killed those 13 Americans was that the U.S. would not rest until we had, uh, until we had gotten, uh, you know, had gotten the people responsible, and he said that you know we're going to do it at a time and a place of our choosing. Well, we did one strike uh, against ISIS K the day after the Abbey Gate bombing, um, where we killed two members of ISIS K. We did another strike two days later, uh, where we killed, unfortunately. Afghan civilians, and then we have not done another strike against ISIS case since. And uh, we are currently relying on, again, the Taliban to deal with it, and you can't trust the Taliban.
1: It was a fantastic interview. We had a great time. He's so knowledgeable about this topic. We actually talked for longer than our allotted time. We talked for a while, and so we're going to drop the second part of this interview tomorrow. Make sure to tune back in to hear the conclusion. Um, of what we discussed and what Jerry has found and what he says we can possibly expect from the House Foreign Affairs Committee and that investigation into Afghanistan. You can find that on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify tomorrow. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.